cannot say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. When you start thinking of things like that and what God has done for you, um, I like the idea when the psalmist said, My cup runneth over. And uh, I'll tell you, we live in a day where there ought to be a little more overrunning cups in the world from our, from our Christian, uh, those that name the name of Christ, our Christian community. There ought to be folks that just so amazed at what God has done for them, it just spills out. And uh, anyway, Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've uh, spent a couple of weeks now on this, uh, a few weeks, I guess, three, two or three weeks. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, is a message of discipleship. It's training, it's teaching His disciples. He's just called them uh, in chapter number 4. And um, He had done some things with the multitudes. We talked about the little bit of difference there is between the multitudes and the disciples. And we're going to be one of those two people. Uh, we, we are either going to be the multitude or we're going to be the disciple. And we have that choice. As we spoke about in Sunday school today, every person has a choice. In fact, one of the amazing things to me is that God gives man free will. It's one of the most powerful things that He's put in our hands. And I don't know if we realize how powerful that is. But God, being who He is, had every right to demand us to live a certain way and to not tolerate any deviance from that. But He gives us free will, which is an amazing power. It's an amazing strength. I was talking with somebody just recently about the idea of uh, the angels in heaven. And obviously there was some level of free will that they had because Lucifer obviously made a choice, didn't he? But isn't it interesting to you, and I, I, I don't know if you've ever thought this before or not, but this is something that I ponder often. God never gives the angels who are also created beings. He never gives the angels an opportunity for redemption. But He does for us. What an amazing thought. What an amazing God that we serve. He gives us great power in our hands. He puts the choice in our hands. What an amazing thought that is. And I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to deal with that as we look in the, in the verses that we'll be studying today. Look with me in verse number 3. We'll begin reading. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And today we're dealing with verse number 5. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message. And Lord, control our hearts and thoughts. May we, um, may we be able to articulate well the truth of this verse that will be a help to us. May we learn and understand your intent as you sat down with your disciples. Those that had been willing to pay a price. Those that had left all that was important to them, all that they held dear. Those that came out from the multitude and separated themselves. Those that climbed the mountain to be with you and to learn from you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be like these disciples. That our hearts would be yielded to you. That we would seek for your teaching, your training from your word. The transforming work that it can do in our lives. I pray that you'd help us to hunger and thirst after it. We pray that you bless all that we say and do. Rightly dividing your word, I pray that you'd help to guide and direct our thoughts. 
May we not do anything today to bring a reproach to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The last several weeks, we've been dealing with uh, these first three of what we call the Beatitudes. The first three of them are geared and focused on the inner man, or the, the, what these disciples were inwardly. Before he begins, in verse number 6, uh, the little word do comes into play, and he'll begin to teach them on things that ought to be in them that cause actions to come out on the outside. But before he can teach them these things, there is a, an attitude of teachability, and I think these three verses deal very clearly with this, as he prepares their hearts to receive things that, to be quite honest with you, at that time period and that day and age, was unheard of. Uh, these, these disciples were getting ready to learn things that were not the, the, the common mentality of the people. They were out of sorts with what the acceptable behavior of society was during that time period and during that day. And by the way, there ought always be a difference between those that name the name of Christ and those that live after the world. There ought to be a distinction there. Titus chapter 2 talks about the fact that he has purified unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, and there ought to be a difference that is shown. And we dealt with the first beatitude a couple weeks ago on being poor in spirit and the idea that we got to get out of our minds that we have anything of value or anything of merit in and of ourselves that I think sometimes we get the mindset that we are God's gift to his service that boy I'm sure glad God got me I mean he's really if he hadn't gotten me he'd really be hurting right now but there had to be an emptiness before the Holy Spirit could fill these folks, before God could use Jesus to teach these disciples the things that He's going to teach them over the next two chapters, uh, they, had to, they had to realize that they could not depend on their knowledge and their will. They needed to seek what Christ had. And so there had to, there had to come a, a loss of value, if you will, in their own capabilities, there had to be an emptying. There had to be a, a poverty here. There had to be, I heard one fellow say it this way, there had to be a bankruptcy of their life. To say, Lord, I, I, I am indebted to you and I can do nothing without you and I need what you have to give me in order to be able to do anything. And by the way, we learn that throughout the New Testament, don't we? Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. There are people that think so highly of themselves and they feel like, boy, I'm, I'm sure uh, God feels lucky to have me. And he's telling these disciples, listen, that's not the right kind of attitude. You have that kind of attitude, you're not going to be a disciple. You're not going to learn the things that I want you to learn. And so he dealt with that in the first one, that there needed to be a poorness in our spirit. There needed to be a hunger and a thirst, saying, Lord, I, I don't have it within me. So I need, you to, I need you to fill me. I need you to take what you have and put it in here so that I will be able to accomplish your work. Then he dealt with last week, and we talked about the idea of blessed are they that mourn. And you think about this as a Christian, what do we have to be mournful for? I mean, what is there to be sad over? I mean, we're saved. We're on our way to heaven. God's forgiven us of our sin. The only thing I know that we can be mournful for is the things that Christ was mournful for. And that was the sin in our lives. And so we dealt with that last week and how there needed to be an absolute brokenness over our sin. We coddle our sins. We have our favorite sins, the ones that we like to hold on to, the ones that nobody knows about. 
We like to, we like to uh, think that, boy, I, I've really achieved. I've cleaned up the outside of the vessel really nice, and people think I'm really good on the outside, but the truth is there's sin in there, and it doesn't seem to even bother us anymore. It seems like we can just do it, and it doesn't even phase us. There's no conscience involved. There needs to be mourning. There needs to be a contrite spirit over our sin. And that brings us to the third area of the heart. The third area of the heart is found in verse number 5, as Jesus says, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I, uh, in, in reading some things and listening to some other people that had preached on this passage and dealing with some of the, uh, the early parts of this chapter, uh, I, I was, my thoughts kind of went to a direction that about this idea of meekness. And uh, I, I looked up the Webster's 1828 Dictionary version definition of what the Bible use of the term, the, the King James translators, what that word meant in their time period when they wrote that. And uh, I came up, there were several uh, definitions they gave. It said, mild of temper, soft, gentle, not easily provoked, yielding. Well, I thought that, that is so, so typical of what I think he's trying to instill in the disciples here. The uh, first time I came to Keith Heights Baptist Church, um, I had preached for years to teenagers. I was a young, uh, I was a youth pastor for 12 years and, um, and had preached for years to young people. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. And, uh, I remember coming here to Keith Heights Baptist Church for the first time and, uh, just a month or so after I was here, Brother Randy Casey, who was our previous pastor, said, uh, said, uh, you know, we sing the song, I surrender all. They said, if you get the idea of surrender, it, it gives this idea that you come broken and tattered and scarred because you've been wrestling and you've been fighting and uh, you've been resisting. And he said, wouldn't it be so much better if instead of surrendering to the Lord, we could say, Lord, I want to yield myself to you. Why do we have to go through the battle? Why do we have to go through the struggle? I've been, I've been for a long time now in ministry, I've been of a high opinion that, that the invitation time is not a time of decision, it's a time of action. The decision should have been made before we ever walked into the door of the church. The decision should always be this. Lord, if you'll show me your truth, I will walk in it. I, my answer is already yes. I don't have to sit in the pew and grip the back of it with white knuckles saying, should I or shouldn't I? The decision should have already been made. We should not fight with the Lord and struggle with the Lord and, and, and seek to surrender ourselves with great reluctancy and with great struggle of the inner thinking of our hearts and the will that is so strongly in uh, holding to our lives. This will that we have, this free will that God has given to us. You ever thought of this? That's a very powerful thing. It's so powerful that even after we are saved... We succumb to it. Even after we know better, even after the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell in us, our self-will still gets us into trouble, doesn't it? It's a powerful, powerful thing. I was, uh, I was uh, watching, I asked Brother, Brother Harold if he would mind if I'd share a, an illustration about uh, one of his dogs. I don't know, those of you that don't know, he has some defensive dogs, and one of them's named Shotzi. And, uh, he brought her over to the house one day, and 
He said, yeah, I want to, I'll put a bite sleeve on you and we'll do some training out here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not in the best physical shape of my life at this point in, in history. I used to be in a lot better shape. But um, he put a bite sleeve on me and, and he uh, had Shotzi do some things and, and grab a hold of my arm. And, boy, there was some might. There was some power. And I'll be honest with you, probably about, I, I felt like it was about 10 or 12 minutes. Brother Harold will probably tell you it was like two minutes. If that, I mean, I'm winded. I'm, I'm sucking air. And Shotzi's like throwing me like a rag doll around the front yard. And she's clamped onto that arm. And I mean, she's got some power. She's got some might. I'll tell you this. Without that protection on my arm, she'd put a hurting on me. And then a few months ago, uh, they had to be out of town. And they said, uh, would you mind keeping Shotzi? I said, oh, yeah, that would be fine. Bring her on over to the house. And so he, he brought her over the day before, and they were, they were, uh, he was just going to let her come and get used to me in the house and kind of see how things go and everything. And as they got out of the vehicle, I was out front to meet them, and something happened. I can't remember what it was, but I remember this, this happening, that there was some kind of big distraction, something that just was going to be amazing, and it just would cause everybody to turn and look. And I was watching as Brother Harold and Shotzi got out of the truck and they were walking to the front door of my house. And the entire time that Brother Harold was walking to the house, Shotzi's doing this. And she's watching him every second. And this, this big distraction happened over here. And not one time did she flinch. And here's a, here's a dog that has, has pretty great power. Truth is, even for Brother Harold, I think he could probably put a hurting on her if she so desired. There's great strength there. There's great power there. What makes for a great dog is that she has yielded her will to Him. Does she have the power? Oh, absolutely. Could she run away from Him? Oh, she could. Could she put a hurting on Him? Sure, she could. But what does she do? She watches Him. Every move He makes. In fact, there's times when He's working with her, and He'll walk backwards and she'll walk backwards. He'll walk forward and she'll walk forward. He'll turn and she'll turn. And he, she's always right there. Watching every move, every time. He, she anticipates what He's going to do. Because she wants to be so focused on what He's doing. And I thought of that as I thought of this term yielded. This idea of meekness. God has given us the wonderful power of a free will. And what He's telling His disciples is, Fellas, you can choose. You can go back to being fishermen. You can go back to fishing for fish and living with your families and doing what you want to do. I'm asking you to be my disciple and I want to teach you some things. But before I can teach them to you, you need to yield yourself to me. There needs to be a focus on me that is not able to be distracted. There needs to be, a, there needs to be this idea, this mindset that I want what He has and I'm going to keep my eyes fastened upon Him. When He teaches something, I'm going to listen. When He moves, I'm going to watch. When He acts, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to learn the things from the Master. Do I have a choice? Absolutely. Do you have a choice? Absolutely. God has given us wonderful power in a free will. And what He's telling His disciples is this. You need to take this power that I've given you and you need to give it back to Me. 
and say, I want what you want. The psalmist said it this way. He said, oh, that my ways were thy ways, O Lord. And so we look at this third beatitude. As he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Hold your place here in just a moment. We're going to come back, but I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, Christ is continuing to teach this this subject matter. It's not part of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's further teaching on this issue of meekness, if you will. Matthew chapter number 11, look down with me in verse number 28. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28. Jesus says this, Come unto me, all ye that what? Labor. Sounds like a disciple, doesn't it? What are disciples supposed to do? They're to follow Christ. They're to labor for the Master. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are what? Heavy laden. You ever feel that way in the Christian life? I'll be frank with you. When I labor in the flesh, when I do it my way and the way that I like to do it, I'll I'll say there's a great weariness in that. But I want you to notice what he says here in verse number 29. Take my what? Yoke upon you. There's something he does not say here. He does not say, let me put my yoke on you. He says, take. It's on you. What he's looking for is a man or a woman to say, Lord, not only am I willing to submit to the yoke, I'm going to willingly of my choice come forward and put my neck in it. I want the yoke. What are we doing when we do that? We're taking this wonderful power of a free will saying, Lord, as mighty as this is, as powerful as it is in my life, I'm going to lay it aside and I'm going to take my will and put it away and say, I want yours. Notice what he says here. He says, take my yoke upon you and what? You see the, you see the tie here? What's, what's, what's he trying to do on the Sermon on the Mount? Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the disciples, right? He's discipling them. He's trying to train them. He's trying to get them to, let's use this word, learn of Him. How do we do that? We have to be meek. We have to say, even though I can have my way and my will, I don't want that. I want His way and His will. And so when the yoke is there, I'm going to walk up to it and I'm willingly of my choice going to say, Lord, I want that yoke. I want the yoke. There's a meekness in that. God doesn't force it. He doesn't place it. He doesn't wrestle Now, I was at a rodeo a few years or so ago with my son. He'd never been to a rodeo before. And I don't know about you all. I, I like some of the events they do out there. And uh, they, they do this, this calf dogging. Have you ever heard of that? Where the guys ride alongside and they, they, they jump off their horse and they grab the steer by the horns and they wrestle them to the ground. You ever see that? I think sometimes in our minds... We surrender to God after He's ridden alongside of us and grabbed our horn, so to speak, and wrestled us down and said, Listen to me. And we get up battered and bruised and scarred and say, Okay, all right, Lord, I can't take any more of this. 
I'll surrender. It's not what God wants. What God wants is somebody to come to Him and say, Where's your yoke, Lord? I want it. I want the yoke. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Look at this. For I am what? Meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find what? Rest. Paul, before he was saved, had been persecuting the Christians. I don't know this, because the Bible doesn't tell us this, how often prior to this road to Damascus experience, God had tried to get a hold of Paul's attention. But apparently it had happened, because he made the statement to Paul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So obviously God must have put some pricks there, trying to get his attention, and he would not. And he kept kicking against them, and kicking against them, and kicking against them. What did it take for God to get a hold of Paul and cause Paul to be one of the great Christians of our Bible? It took Paul saying, I'm through kicking. I'm just going to yield myself to you. It took some meekness. Let's go back to Matthew chapter number 6 this time. Matthew chapter number 6. You say, well, boy, I just, I've got so many things that I want to do, so many dreams and so many plans. So many, just, I've just got so much I want, so many things that I want. Jesus still teaching the, in the Sermon on the Mount. So we get to chapter number 6. Look with me in verse number 31. He, he just started talking about how He takes care of nature. The lilies of the field, they toil not, neither do they spin. He talked about the fowls of the air, how he feeds the, the sparrows, how he feeds the fowl of the air. He, he dresses the lilies of the field. After he uses all of this to explain to his disciples the care that he takes over his creation, he tells them in verse 31, he says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Those shouldn't be the concerns we have. He says, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. We find in verse number 33 kind of the, the explanation of what he's talking about in chapter 5 and verse 5. He says, but seek ye... What's the next word here? First. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What's he saying? Take my yoke. You're sitting here, you're laboring, you're heavy laden, you're wearied, because you're doing it all in your strength and your will and your way. He's saying, take my yoke. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
I want you to notice what he, uh, he finishes this with. He says, in all these things, what's he referring to? Our raiment, our food, our shelter. All these things shall be added unto you. Let's go back to chapter 5 and verse 5 now, and let's read this verse one more time with a little better understanding perhaps. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. Is he talking about the heavenly things that they're going to gain? No. He's talking about the earthly things that they will gain. It kind of sounds like Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, doesn't it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, the things that are necessary for our earthly care. You'll have those. You'll get those. They'll be fine. I'll take care of them. So He teaches His disciples three things here. He says, number one, you need to be poor in spirit. Don't think so highly of yourself. Don't be so haughty as to think you know it all. Don't come to me and say, I already know all that. (laughs) My kids will tell you sometimes, I think I know everything. In fact, I took my daughter out to supper last night, and uh, she and I got into a little bit of an argument, as we do often. Out of all three of my kids, she's the one that I butt heads with probably more than any. And yet we probably love each other as much or more than any of the others. And uh, Jonathan made the comment. He said, why do you guys always fight? And Ray said, because we're so much alike. We both have to be right. I said, I don't have to be right. I said, there are times that I can admit when I'm not as right as I had hoped I would have been. (laughs) And that's the way I said it. A lot of times we get this mentality. I remember as a little kid growing up, one of the biggest things my dad had to, and I mean it was, I had this, I had this propensity for this so much, I look back and I wonder how my dad did not lose patience with me. But I don't know how many times he would discipline me. Sometimes I'd get a belt or a spanking for it. Because he would tell me to do something and he would tell me to do it a particular way. And I would think... It would be easier if I do it this way. And I knew that if I didn't do it my dad's way, that I'd get in trouble for it. But I had to try it my way. I don't know how many times I tried it my way, and I realized when I got into it, this is a mess. This is a mess. I did that not once or twice. I did that over and over and over and over again. It took years for my dad to get that out of me. I look back on it now and I think, why did he not just give up? Why didn't he just say, man, he's useless? But he kept after me and he kept after me and he kept after me until I got to the place where I finally realized I can have my will and I can do it the way I want to do it. Or I can look at dad and say, I want his will and the way he's told me to do it. I found when I did that, life was so much easier. 
I was laboring and I was heavy laden, but when I did it Dad's way, it was so much easier. So much easier. A number of years ago when I was a teenager, we went to uh, a camp, a ranch, and they had several thousands of acres and ran wild horses and they would catch these horses and break them and they would use them for trail rides for people that would come to visit the camp. I remember uh, one day, and at the end of the week they had a big rodeo that they would do. And I remember one time going up there, one year going up there, and we were getting ready to go on a trail ride. And they were assigning horses and putting different people on different horses. It's amazing the patience of these horses. Pretty strong beasts. They certainly could hurt and kill a man. But they stood there patiently while people who had never ridden horses before tried to stumble onto their backs. I remember one horse as the guy was getting ready to get on it. Unfortunately, it was a fellow that was fairly athletic. He started to get on and this horse started bucking and, and raising up at him and he threw the guy off. I remember the ranch hands coming over and grabbing a hold of the reins of that horse and yanking him down and taking the strap and starting to, to whip on the horse and, and, to, and to get him back to the corral where he needed to go. As we were, they found him a different horse and we put him on there and, and we did the trail ride. I remember the guys were talking about it on the way. They said, we've been having trouble with that one. He's stubborn. He won't yield. He won't give us his will. There's a lot of rest. There's a lot of peace. When we just quit fighting and say, yes, Lord. I love in the Old Testament when the Lord comes to some of them and says, Abraham, Samuel. And their answer is, here am I. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be this meek in our lives? Say, Lord, I don't want my will anymore. I want to be poor in spirit. I want to mourn over the things in my life that grieve you. And I want to have a spirit of meekness. Why? I've already given up everything that is a whole dear. I've already separated from the multitude. But you've told me that I have to have these three things in order to be able to get the rest of what you want to teach me. And now that I'm in this place, then and only then do I believe you and I can be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so arrogant, aren't we, in the flesh? It's typical. It's not usually a choice. It's something that's there. We can choose whether to let it get the best of us or not, but there's an arrogance there. There's an ego there. And it is difficult to humble ourselves. But that's what Christ wants. He wants us to yield to Him. We come to this book not to read it so that we can debate it or argue it with Him, but to come to it and say, Lord, I decided long before I ever even opened this book that whatever You show me from it, my answer is yes. I want to yield to it. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for the teaching that You give to us. 
how powerful this book is to instruct us in the way. And Lord, I do pray that You would help us as we study these, this sermon that You give to Your disciples. Not, not just the multitudes, but those that are willing to pay the price. Those that are willing to be faithful, to 